I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And this is Basic Snitches. Basic Snitches. Today we are discussing chapter, chapter 11. 11. The Sorting Hats New Song. song. Oh. <laughs> Brian's with us again today, obviously. I am. Welcome back, me. We Welcome now, back, me. We now have our go-go juice. Brian is Santa. I am. I got my Santa glass because I'm a ho-ho-ho. And here we are at the end of September. Appropriate. Always. Do you know that things like Lowe's and Home Depot and shit already have Christmas decorations? Yes. Christmas is and three like... months from yesterday, so. Yeah, right. I, I don't mind it. Okay, because my friend texted me a picture of the giant, like, Christmas section, and then Halloween was this, like, tiny little corner. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck you, that give is, me my holiday. That is true. That is true. Now, if you go to Michael's, Michael's has great Halloween. Stuff. Yes. Good to know. Fun. Is Devella's on the way already? Oh my god, Devella's already on the way. Well, okay. cool. Kevin's gonna get some food. Finally, the, as you may know, maybe that was in our Patreon exclusive. Tara ordered breakfast. Brian brought Aladdin's leftovers, so I'm getting Devella's. It is we my turn. like food here at Basic Snitches. Sponsor us food. <laughs> We have I feel a food... like we've asked food to fuck sponsors before. Yeah, seriously. Food fetish. That only makes sense if you're a Patreon subscriber. And on that note, it's time to recognize our Patreon people. I always want to call you Patreons. Patrons. So thanks as always to Olivia, Mary Beth, Brittany, Ashley, Nisi, and Brian, who you just heard a few moments ago. Which is apropos because this week's Patreon exclusive is all about Brian. Some notes that he's had about the last few seasons since he's finally caught up with the podcast and what he's been up to and whatnot. Please support us. You will also be mentioned in every single episode as well as get all of that great exclusive content. Just go to patreon.com slash basic snitches or basic snitches.com and click our Patreon link and sign up for only $3 a month. One other thing that I'm going to echo that Tara had mentioned in the last week's episode is that if you are our seventh patron, thus our seventh Horcrux, we will send you an exclusive piece of Basic Snitches merch. Existing patrons, this will be on the way to you shortly. But if you're the 8th or the 9th or the 10th, no, you don't get that. Only for the 7th. So sign up and you will get that extra little perk. Now, if you do happen to be the 8th, 9th, or 10th, you're helping us get to the next tier. So right now we just have the $3 tier, but once we get 10, we'll open up to more tiers, which means just more ways for you to interact with us. And then maybe once you're out one of those other tiers, you'll also get something we don't know yet we haven't determined that because we're still at six so sign up and things will happen all right on to the rest of the episode who did things so in chapter 10 the winner loser of chapter 10 this is an easy one the loser of chapter 10 is draco malfoy <gasps> i know shocking the winner of chapter 10 is Linda Lovegood. <gasps> Here's the thing is like, technically there's not a whole lot to attribute to a win in the episode, but like she has, makes like a bomb ass entrance and she's cool. There's a case for Ginny as the winner of the chapter, mm-hmm. but you just gotta give it to Luna. Like your first introduction to this person is she is 10,000% who she is and I applaud that. I feel like, Agree. I mean, you could essentially make a case for the silver trio. Yeah, because being the winner of because Neville is also quite lovely in the chapter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's the introduction to the Silver Trio. But no. we're gonna give it to Luna, which is understandable. Which is bomb. 
I did not write a thing this time either. I did I, not write a thing this I time. I wrote a thing. <gasps> and I also don't get to read a thing either because Brian got read a thing. I get to read a thing. So no things for me. Nope. This recording session. I get a break. Chapter 11. The Sorting Hat's New Song. As they board the carriages, now suddenly pulled by creepy horses, Luna wastes no time showing how good she is at stating uncomfortable truths as she flat out calls Hagrid a bad teacher. While she's not wrong, the others are quick to defend him and she is unmoved. When they arrive at Hogwarts, they hurry inside and into the Great Hall. Harry tries to ignore the fact that people are pointing at him and whispering as they go to all their house tables. The feast begins as they discuss where Hagrid may be, and they notice for the first time that Pink Bitch is sitting at the staff table. The sorting begins with the sorting hat dropping some history and warnings and leaving everyone a bit confused. Hermione and nearly headless Nick discuss the fact that the hat knows things because it hangs with Dumble all year and has historically given students subtle warnings in its songs to stick together despite the sorting into separate houses. Ron offends nearly headless Nick by being disgusting and talking with his mouth full. Dumble tries to welcome students and do his usual speech, but is interrupted by Pink Bitch. She's condescending and a frankly a terrible public speaker, and it really feels like the whole school is ready to hate her. But nobody really listens to her speech but Hermione, of course. She reads between the lines and realizes to the others that this bitch is here to change Hogwarts. Harry and Neville get back to Gryffindor Tower and learn that Seamus' mother doesn't, didn't want him to return to school because she believes Harry and Double are nuts, and Ron comes into the dorm just in time to stop an impending altercation between Harry and Seamus. Dean awkwardly tells them all that his parents don't even know that someone died last year, and Neville defends Harry and Dumble before everyone goes to bed in an awkward silence. Delightful. Yes. Mm, that was a nice thing. Thanks. Oh, why are we being nice? Because God. we're nice people. No. Time to be. We. We are nice Tara people. Tara and me, or Tara and I, are nice people. Sometimes. We get a feast. The first feast of the year. The feast. It's our third one. Yes. That they've been to. That they or have that, been. That we that, have experienced That we have them. experienced yes. the pages. Yes. Yes. So that's great, except there's uh, no Hagrid instead. There is a, another a little pink bitch. creature. Can we talk about Luna and her calling about Hagrid, Hagrid? Yeah. She's just like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to be honest. She flat out tells them. They're like, Hagrid's a joke but in does Ravenclaw. She, does she know about the relationship? I don't think Probably she does. Not. I don't think so either. I don't, I don't think she does. Yeah, I don't think she does either. But she's also not wrong. Hagrid is not a good teacher. Right, and so she says it. She kind of, they're very defensive. I think she probably realizes, oh, like, they have this connection. But she's, she's like, like, whatever. Oh, I said what I said. Right? Ron is, like, not okay with that. He was, like, the most defensive. Yeah. Mm. I appreciate that Ginny is also on the same page as them, of being like, defending Hagrid. Mm -hmm. Do you guys remember that in the second book, Ginny goes to visit Hagrid too? Mm -hmm. And that gets like completely glossed over. Yeah. So like Ginny has a relationship with Hagrid too that we don't ever really talk about. It's very true. They feast. get to the table, they get to the feast. Mm -hmm. Well, they realize Hagrid's sorted, still not there. Yeah. Well, before they get sorted, he sings a song. Now, I paid a lot of attention to the song this time because... In the last book, I was like, aw, Sorting Hat, how nice. And Tara, you had issues because he kind of bashed Slytherin a little bit. He was a bit rude to Slytherin. Now, in this case, of course, the difference is that there's this message of unison and whatnot that he is pointing out. And so I tried to kind of pay attention to that. The other stuff about the song, of course, is 
bringing up Slytherin's pure blood status. And so that's kind of new, but then the, of course this like warning that the hat gives. He gives us more <laughs> history into the Hogwarts founders. He doesn't actually go, Slytherin was the cause of all of strife between everyone. This is how this went, everyone was close. And Slytherin was like pure bloods only and they were still like, okay, because we are covering everyone else between the other houses and Hufflepuff just being great. There's no part of this that the hat is like, I gotta be like mean about a house. The hat's like, this is the history and this is why we're divided into these houses. I think it's wrong. I find that this song is very interesting because of that. Students all listen to the song. They don't fucking listen to Umbridge because she sucks, but like they still listen to the song because they're like... It's a talking hat. Right. (laughs) Even Adam said he was like, I wasn't really paying attention as much in the last book to the song. I I think that's fair. It kind of feels like a different version of the same thing and this year is different. Yeah. It's completely different almost, you know? Mm -hmm. Something else with the hats, a kind of warning, because then they of course get into it nearly headless nick even says there have been times during upheaval or whatever where the hat does tend to give some advice to this student body and what it made me think of was picking up on energies and how uh, sure music Crystals and whatnot can pick up on certain energies and take those in. Cleansing your energy and stuff with incense or whatever. Almost the fact that the the hat is kind of like charm or something, if you will. I mean, it could be very well like a charmed object. So wanted to kind of put that in there and how that's kind of interesting. Before they actually have the sorting, Harry's been walking by all these people who have been whispering about him. And even when they get to their table, Pavardi and Lavender are clearly whispering about him. And yeah, then they're focused on... Hagrid not being there and pink bitch and all that and then they have the sorting stupid pink bitch also appreciate that Ron is like nice cardigan <laughs> yeah I like that Ron is super sassy and then like later on Pavardi and Lavender are like as long as I don't have to borrow that cardigan I was like yes bitches um I do not appreciate the cardigan hate cause I fucking love I cardigans. love cardigans apparently hers sucks cause I, mean, I also love like cardigans frilly and shit cause yes yeah. I love a cardigan but hers has like little rainbows and butterflies on it you guys are gonna watch me eat this pickle uh-huh. that is a very phallic pickle Oh, really? Have you seen a pickle that isn't phallic in your life, Ash? I'm just saying. (laughs) Mm. Where's that fuck, Mary kill music? (laughs) This is the ASMR episode. Oh my god. What were you saying? I don't know. I don't know. My brain stopped working. (laughs) Oh, we were talking about the cardigan. Yes. So, yeah, just Umbridge in general. Community is kind of the thing that the hat talks about. And then Umbridge standing up and trying to give this kind of warning, I suppose, of her own as she comes in to kind of destroy the community is kind of interesting. I mean, I also think she just comes in and she wants to hear herself talk and be in that position of being in front of everyone and be like, here I am, look at me. Absolutely. She's so condescending that I refuse to believe that she's trying to be like... This is my welcome speech. I think she knows exactly what she's doing. The funny thing is, the thing that she does say, progress for the sake of progress should be discouraged. Like, I literally wrote that down. And a couple lines later, that's what Hermione calls out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, Hermione's got her bullshit detector on because that right there is 
complete bullshit. Right. But just the entire speech as is is just off-putting, uncomfortable. Dumbledore's obviously keeping cautious with her around. Everything the hat mentioned in this following, it just kind of jumps off the page to me. It's so, like, weird for her to talk about, like, polishing the young witches and wizards and stuff. It makes them feel, like, dirty. What she's gonna do is correct everything off the bat, so you already see, like, all of her cards on the table. I think so. There's something to the fact that no one is listening to her but Hermione. They've already basically decided how they feel about her. Mm-hmm. You know, you see how she says, like, oh, look at all your happy faces. And everyone is just like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. And people are, like, starting to talk over her and ignore her. It's very clear that she is realizing what work she has to do. I almost wonder, you had talked about how she likes to hear her own voice. I wonder about how much she's really paying attention to all of this because there is this clear delineation of her going from this sickening saccharine personality into robotically saying this stuff, almost like it's a recorded message from the ministry. So maybe she isn't like really paying attention to what's going on. I think she is. There's a very clear delineation between the way she presents herself here and the way a couple pages before they're about to do the sorting and everyone's whispering about the hat and McGonagall's like got that look on her face and everyone's like, now I gotta be quiet. You know, like the way that McGonagall can command the room and have that kind of effect and then this is this new person that completely opposite. Can we talk about the fact that Nearly Headless Nick is kind of annoying as fuck in this chapter? (laughs) Sure, because I didn't really get that. I don't either. Nearly Headless Nick is basically the Percy of his generation. Except for Percy is more courageous than Nearly Headless Nick because I think when Percy finally dies, he's not going to want to come back as a ghost. He was He's like whispering with these fucking kids and then he's like, no, shh. He does one of those things. I fucking hate when people do that. And I'm like, come on, Nick, you're dead. You can't get in trouble. I just hated that. That was annoying. And then <laughs> it was like something about like how he's always been brave. And I was like, bitch, there was a whole chapter in the second book about how you were not brave enough to actually die. So no, stop saying shit like that. Like, I was just like, you're annoying. Hmm. Oh no, he bugged me in this chapter. The pickle is done, so the ASMR portion of this episode is done, as well, listeners. For me, anytime Sir Nicholas is around, I almost feel, pun maybe intended, like he's almost like a figurehead for the kids. There have been times in the past where I mentioned the ghost maybe being a resource for instances where something goes on and there's not like supervision of the students, Mm -hmm. let's say. And so there are times where he's around and he gives some thoughts or some wisdom I got more of that, I think. I agree that that's what I mean. Generally, that's mm-hmm. my feeling on him. I just found him in this chapter because he did give us all that information about mm-hmm. in the past. But yeah. it was more like, Nick, come on. It's He's more like, of his behavior. Yes. Well, and the way he speaks. This is his line. Terrified. I hope I, Sir Nicholas de Mimsy Port Beanton, have never been guilty of cowardice in my life. Get over yourself, yeah, dude. Yeah. I guess it's a little... So I just, I just roll my eyes. I'm obviously not like, ugh, Sir Nick. I just rolled my eyes at him real hard this chapter. I can kind of see a little bit of... Of false bravery there. And I also appreciate Ron being like, you're afraid of the bloody baron, so you can shut up. Yeah, exactly. I kind of read Ron that Ron is too, super like, sassy mm. in these chapters, and I'm like, yes, Ron. So, speaking of Ron, well, before I go off on this, anything else about, like, the feast in general? Not necessarily. I will say, in reading the lyrics of the Sorting Hat song, it instantly took me to Puffs. Mm. For those that don't know Puffs, there's a whole scene where they're reading the story of the founding of Hogwarts and, like, the conversation that the founders had of, like, who they're going to teach and who's going to... And, like, it's played off as this, like, silly 
Ravenclaw's like, we want students who are smart. Gryffindor, we want students who are brave. Slytherin's like, we want students who are blonde rich assholes. <laughs> and then Helga Hufflepuff says, I'll take the rest of them. Yeah. Because as long as they're willing to work hard, everyone deserves a place here. And I forgot that that speech is like straight out of the Sorting Hat song. Oh yeah. Where like that conversation literally happens and then Helga's just like, I'll take the rest. That really did pop out a lot in this song, I think too. There are times too where I think that there are distinguishing qualities of Hufflepuffs as well. The coolest thing about all of that, and I'm glad that you brought up Puffs, is getting the Sorting Hat song and, and Sorting Hat being like, this is how this happened and whatever. And you get to kind of touch base with Hufflepuffs at least a tiny bit every year because like they have herbology with Harry and of course they played a larger part in the second and fourth book the fact that we're reminded that the Hufflepuffs are there being good people is a really nice background you know I mean in the seventh book the first person to say we're gonna stay and fight with Harry is a Hufflepuff Ernie McMillan and in this book the Hufflepuffs are the next largest group of people that join Dumbledore's army Mm -hmm. the cool thing about Hufflepuffs is that they are brave too you know, and I'm always saying that, like, Harry, if he wasn't in Gryffindor, he would be a Hufflepuff. Hufflepuffs are just Gryffindors who aren't conceited fools, really. I mean, that's literally what Hufflepuffs are, I think. And they're realistic about things, and Gryffindors are like, I don't care if that's on fire, I'm just gonna run through it and do the crazy stupid thing, and maybe it'll work. And in this song, even though the whole thing is about everyone coming together, the Thorny Hat makes sure that they let everyone know that there was a Hogwarts founder that was like, not everyone is welcome here. Okay, so there are so many things. It's like <laughs> stuff that like I was like, oh my gosh, this supports my thought exactly. So we're going to get to the witchy music twice in this episode. In the very first season of Basic Snitches, I talked about how the four houses represent elements. Mm-hmm. Gryffindor is fire in the exact way that you were talking about. They like rush into the flames without thinking about logic. Ravenclaw is air, which has to do with thinking and overthinking and all of that. In tarot, for example, swords, which represents air, also often have some of the more dire consequences because your thoughts can hurt you, you know? Like if you are overthinking, some of those thoughts might not be your own, so on and so so forth, which we have kind of seen with Ravenclaws up until this point with Luna. This also kind of enhances what I said in the last episode about like Luna being a Ravenclaw and air and all of that. And how she represents a different quality of that. And then we have Slytherins, which back then we were talking about how it's interesting because Slytherin represents water, which is emotion. But when you think of water too, and when you think of all of these things, air is a very powerful element. Fire is a very powerful element. So is water. I mean, when you think of the ocean, (laughs) yeah, it's a pretty terrifying thing. But then the fact that water also represents like the outpouring of emotion and you see that with some Slytherins throughout the series is is important. So then that brings us to Hufflepuff then. And Hufflepuff is Earth. Okay, cool. Yeah. Their favorite thing is herbology. But Earth also represents being grounded and hard work. And those are technically the qualities that a Hufflepuff should have, I think. Like rather than just like, they're the rest of them. But exactly what you said about Hufflepuffs being Gryffindors that aren't like conceived 
conceited or like don't have the logic. Hufflepuffs are essentially like Gryffindor plus Ravenclaw in some ways without the negative aspects of the fire and the air mm-hmm. because they are grounded. Now, yeah, there's negative things about all signs, all people, all houses, no matter what. I think the way that you said it fully encapsulated what I'm trying to say about the four houses representing those elements and how perfect Hufflepuff is representing Earth. I love this song. I love this Orange Hat song this year. It doesn't just give us the warnings that Nick and Hermione talk about. It also reestablishes what we already know just to kind of keep that in our forefront because we're going to need it. As I was reading this, I was like, I wonder what Tara is going to think about this song. I thought you might have a positive reaction. Oh yeah, I love that. I love this one. So I was talking a lot about Ron earlier and I'm like, through this book, I'm like, this is like Ron's strongest book to me so far. There's like so much great shit about Ron and I'm like, fuck yes, Ron. Like I'm here. I'm on your team. Finally. Ron is great in this Um, book. And he has a great moment at the end of this chapter Mm -hmm. that we'll get to. But before we get to that part, he calls all the first year's midgets. I know, we're like, Ron. Ron! I think Hermione is like, girl, you nah. can't call them that. <laughs> they're like, their first years. <laughs> so I'm like, still the old Ron that we love to hate Right, sometimes. I mean, like, he's still Ron. It's fine. <laughs> Later we see such a wonderful leadership moment with him. But I'm like, Ron, come on. No. It's a silly little mistake to make, but... Mm. So I had to mention that. Right. So to kind of like combat what Ron does negatively, then they go up into the... Oh. Yes, so, Neville comes to the save the day. So Ron's not even there at first. First of all, I think it's important to mention that Harry takes a different way around to get up to the common room. Because he's like, uh, everyone's staring at me. Then he gets to the portrait before anyone else, and Neville's the first person there. Yes. And Neville knows the password. So, first of all, good on Harry for finding an alternate route. And who hasn't done that? Also, Harry's going to know the alternate route. 100. There have been times, like, I can think of people from college, for example, where I'd be walking to class, and I'd see some up ahead, I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. When I was an RA especially, like, I had some problematic presidents that I'm like, no, we can handle this later. And so I would take it, like, a different route to class. (laughs) So I've done that same exact thing. And, yeah, the fact that Neville gets that, it, like, even more further cements that, hey, Neville is important here. He's got his semen plant. He knows his shit this time. He's part of the Silver Trio. Fuck yes, Neville. Good on you. So then they get up in the common room. They get up in the boys' dormitory and everything. They see Fred and George spring in the corner, putting up posters, and Harry's like, I ain't got time to think about Entrepreneurs. That. He's like, I gotta go to bed. Seamus is a little bit standoffish. Oh. So here's my thought on Seamus. At first, I don't think he's in the wrong. I feel like he's just stating, hey, my mom didn't want me to come back. And it's not just you, Harry, it's also Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And then it does sort of escalate and i think harry does escalate it he does and i noticed that when i was rereading it because at first shameless is just like hey i don't know what happened in that maze so i don't really know like what to believe and harry immediately takes that as i don't believe you and i think that you're a fucking liar you're right harry escalates it and then Seamus kind of is a little bit more Right, because douchey. Harry like takes a jab at Seamus's mom and Seamus yeah. is yeah. very So in the movie, obviously the whole thing goes down differently, but specifically that Harry taking a jab at Seamus's mom is much less vile in the book. He does not call his mother stupid. And that's really important because Harry thinks it because he's so frustrated, but he doesn't say it out loud, 
which is an important thing, I think, to note. Harry reins himself in enough to not say that. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does escalate it. He just walks through everyone staring at him. He's had the shittiest summer after a shitty end of school year. And now someone who's supposed to be his friend, supposed to be his dormmate, is like, my mom didn't want me to come back to school and you're why? Instead of him saying, my mom didn't want me to come back to school, I have questions. You know, yeah. like... Or because like, of the daily profit. Yeah. Like, technically, that's why? I get the whole conflict between the two of them immediately. They all, like, just need to have a fucking snack and go to bed. Oh, I thought you were going to be like, they just need to fuck. No. Dean would be very upset. Seamus does not deserve Dean. I agree. Now, I will say to that point, though, like we have seen already when you convinced me that when Ron gets prefect and Harry is kind of having these thoughts and first I was like, Harry, bad on you. But then he thinks about it, he squashes it, and he congratulates Ron. He does have those skills that he could have applied here. And he's had more stress throughout this entire... Yes, I mean, the attention of your peers is always a little bit more at the forefront, especially at these ages. But I do think that Harry still could have handled this better based on what we have seen. I think so. I will say this also, though. After all of these accusations, why shouldn't he behave the way people expect him to? He hasn't actually behaved this way at all. All the things he's been accused of have been lies. He's been, like, to himself all saying all this crazy, awful shit about him, and he's not done any of that. He's been perfectly good, and, like, he went through all this stuff. Like, honestly, at that point, I'd be like, yeah, you know what, I am going to be a fucking crazy bitch, and be like, yeah, what about it? Tell your mom to fuck right off. Like, at that point, I think that there's some merit in that, you know? Like, people are going to keep accusing me of a thing, and obviously Harry's better than that, but had he, like, gone off on Seamus, I would have been like, well, that was wrong, but I get it. I think I get it if it was if it was in the movie because in the movie I mean we'll get there. It is a lot more aggressive. Yes. In this case, you know, there is something to be said that maybe this is the first time he's heard it or at least heard it from like a peer. Yeah. The, that's the whole thing really at the ministry important. is another thing. I don't know. I still think that it escalates in a way that is still avoidable at this point. And hey, you know, things are going to continue to escalate. Let's see, like, further on. Maybe there is a point where this type of reaction makes even more sense, you know? Because I'm sure that's coming. For me, like, I'm just kind of seeing as, like, well, what is the right way for him to have reacted? Is he supposed to just be like, yeah, say whatever you want? I think that the situation, there was no way it wasn't going to be fraught like that. I think that there is an opportunity to be just honest and open. The whole thing that escalates it is talking about his mother. Seamus is his own person. The mom is also Mm -hmm. their own person. Clearly, we are not like images of our parents. We can make our own decisions. They're in an age group where they can make their own decisions. I think, yeah, that just being open and honest about it and Seamus, you know me more than you know the fucking Daily Prophet. Your mom can think whatever she wants too, but this is the tea from the horse's mouth. Now, back to Ron though. Ron comes in and I think he handles it perfectly. Honestly though, I don't think it has anything to do with him being a prefect. I think it has everything to do with him being a friend. And he's just able to Mm -hmm. drop out the also I'm a prefect, so sucks to suck. That's exactly it, yeah. If Dean were the prefect, he wouldn't have handled it this way. Because Dean isn't Harry's best friend. If some other nameless random fifth year boy that probably earned the prefect's badge, that's not how he would have handled it. He would have been like, you all need to fucking stop arguing if he was a good prefect and be like, this is the first day back, everyone calm down, we can talk to McGonagall if we need to. That's probably how the prefect should have handled it. But Ron is Harry's best friend, and he comes in and he's like, anyone else got a fucking problem with Harry? Also, calm the fuck down, Seamus, because I'm a prefect, and you know whose side I'm on. Which is a little unfair, but also, like, 
it's all reactionary and it's all best friend stuff and like there's some merit to that. I think it would be the same except there would not be the best friend element. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that Dean would have come in and squashed it exactly, but that one line just would not be there. I was like, good for Ron because he does handle it correctly. And honestly, like, what are you supposed to do as the prefect? We have to talk about Neville because he comes in and he is like, well, my grandma doesn't believe this. And he offers this alternative point of view that is so crucial in this moment. And Neville doesn't always technically, like, speak up in these moments either. At least we don't see it. Mm -hmm. And we've also been led to believe that his grandma is a little bit batty. Fuck yeah, Neville. Neville is another one who, to me, is, like, really shining in this book. Well, the other thing is the way that it comes up. Ron is, like, heated. He goes, does anyone else have a problem? Or their parents. Dean is like, I ain't telling my parents anything. Neville comes in and he was like, it's rubbish. This is what my grand says. That's it. He doesn't go, Seamus, you're wrong. Harry, you're right. This is what I think. And that, I think, is why Neville is so good in this moment. So Harry, through the chapter, is like, oh, did Dumbledore feel this way too? Like, you know, is is he dealing with the same kind of backlash I am? People whispering about him behind his back, and, and, you know, is Dumbledore upset because he was cut from the Wizengamot and all of that stuff? He has this whole thing at the end of the chapter where he's thinking about that, and he's like, is that why Dumbledore doesn't want to see me? Is he mad at me because I'm the reason why he's, like, facing all this backlash? I think that that's interesting. And you brought up several times about, like, the guilt that Harry puts on himself for things that he's literal no control over, and this is just another one of those things because we know that that's not why Dumbledore has been avoiding Harry. And then the sad thought of they'll know we're right in the end and the undertone of that is Harry knows that it's just going to get fucking terrible before people know they're right. Okay, that looks into a little bit deeper, but I think at the same time, there's a positive spin on that in that he knows what's right, he believes what is right, and, you know, the truth will come out at the end. Like, there is some hope there. That's a good way to look at it, knowing that everything is going to continue to be difficult and potentially get worse. It could very well be that realization that things are going to get worse before they get better but there's still a message of hope there i think and that is like what's important at the end at the end of the day it's the same thing that you deal with with like misinformation these days you can no longer worry about what other people are doing when there is this free vaccine for example you know what that's their choice all that's going to come to them is unfortunate circumstances and i think it's the same sort of thing here right like there's so much that you can do at the end of the day. Right. And Harry has done it. He came out of the fucking maze and told everyone the truth about what happened. And he can only do that. Whether or not people believe him, he can't do anything about that. If so, only there were a potion that someone could take to spill the truth. Unfortunately, there's issues with using it. Now there is, at least, you know. That's a plot hole that has always bugged me, that, like... The ministry never... I That's think what I'm that, saying. Yeah. Like, what I'm saying is that I think they use it on Barty Crouch Jr. in this instance where they know that he's done something bad. There's a morality thing behind it, you know? Sure. But yeah, that's what I mean. You that to someone, you can ask them anything. You could be like, I'm going to do this to get his confession, and then be like, just kidding, I'm going to ask you this. It's also something that, like, someone could voluntarily do it. You're calling me a liar. I will prove it to you. Right. Give me vis... vis- Veritaserum. Give me that. Let's see what wine does. Speaking of Veritaserum. This is why the wizards named the legal system. Yeah. Which we've discussed. Absolutely. We need to find the lawyer to be on this podcast to walk through all of this. Had the stuff that the Daily Prophet is spouting be actually true, if there is this kind of misinformation, there might be more of case to give him Veritaserum, I guess. 
That's what I mean. Like, if there was that case of, like, Harry is, like, becoming a public menace, like Barty Grouch Jr. was, they could maybe use it. But the fact that nobody is going that far and it's just all hearsay almost proves Harry right. The other thing is is that Fudge is one of the first people that learned about this. Fudge has been told the truth by the people who were there. The fear of that truth coming out is a whole different bag of worms that they just don't want to deal with. You know what I'm saying? I just said bag of worms, can of worms, whatever. You get your worms how you want it. Whatever, right? I'm going to still continue to get mine in Plastic cans. container, I don't know. If you want to get yours on a corner out of a paper I, bag, you go ahead and do I it. I just, like misinformation exists because other people are afraid of the truth because the truth can upset this power that fudge has fudge is hanging on by a fucking thread getting umbrage in there and just like pretending that there's not a problem means that they can continue running things the way they're running them can i have my shirt back please let's play a game a game don't suffocate my cat is a good game to play (laughs) Suffocated. It's a new one. It's Play called Don't Suffocate My Cat. How does it work? Don't suffocate. The oh, I lose. So this is how it goes. First, you take that pillow and you put it over Tara's head instead. Please do. <laughs> so now that Tara's taken care of, Brian, you ready to talk about the movie? All right, we're going to play a brand new game. Mm-hmm. I neglected to talk about this in the last chapter, but we actually had somebody new reach out to us on Gmail. This person that reached out to us is Caitlin. Caitlin, Hi, Caitlin. F. Hi, Caitlin. What's up, girl? Or whatever your pronouns are. If they are not girl, I'm sorry. Girl is a noun. You know what I mean. So first of all, she, they had mentioned another theory that we'll get into a little bit later, but this is something that they had said, so I want to mention it now, is the theory that Dumbledore is death when it gets to the tale of the three brothers. Are you guys done traumatizing Bentley? Are you kidding me? He's traumatizing us. The three brothers being Harry, Snape, and Voldemort. I've heard this. Yes. We will obviously talk about that a little bit more, but Caitlin brings it up here, so I wanted to mention it. The other thing that she said that we should do is we should talk more about the Harry Potter ships, which we kind of did in the 100th episode, mm-hmm. especially with Roxana. Mm. But what we're also going to do is we're going to play this new game that I'm calling Oh Shit! Oh, shit. So this game is courtesy of Caitlin. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks, Caitlin. I am going to mention five potential ships in this chapter. And you guys are going to choose which one you like more. And of course they are ridiculous, because why wouldn't they be? I need them to be ridiculous, yeah. All right, number one involves Grubbly Plank. Okay. Would you rather ship Grubbly Plank with Hagrid or with Thestrals? Thestrals. What say you, Tara? I think he... The Hagrid could make that work if, if things didn't work out with the Quinn Maxine. <laughs> yes. All right, cool. We have some differences in what thoughts. What about you? I just think Hagrid is too obvious of an answer. So why you want her to fuck Thestrals? Because Hagrid was too obvious of an answer. That's literally why? You yeah. just want her to fuck Thestrals because Hagrid is too obvious? But like, what if she can't see Thestrals? That's going to be weird as hell. Ooh, that'd be kind of hot. <laughs> she, yeah, she's just fucking a booty hole, that, a horse booty hole. That she can't see? She can't see, he's just floating there. Sounds kind of hot. Yeah. All right. Well, from that perspective, I'm going to go with Thestrals as well. (laughs) Even though I do kind of think that Hagrid and Grubbly Plank might be a good match. The second one is with the Sorting Hat. Mm. Would you rather ship the Sorting Hat with Godric Gryffindor or Salazar Slytherin? I mean, the Sorting Hat belongs to Godric Gryffindor. I mean, that's the obvious answer. (laughs) Yeah, Gryffindor, because, you know, Gryffindor sticks his sword up that. Yeah, but Slytherin can always Slytherin. 
Ooh, good point. Right. Good pun. The third one is Harry. Would you rather ship Harry with Seamus or Neville? Oh, Neville. Seamus. Yeah, see, Angry Sex is with Seamus. Angry mm. Sex is only for me and Brian. That's fair. About. Not when that... you're in my house. Mm. So you can save that for when you're at Dan and Victoria's. <laughs> in their kitchen or wherever you were going to do it. Um, now, that's the thing. Like, Harry and Neville, Neville can bring in his semen plan. So there is that. I'm sticking with Seamus. That's fine. I'm a fan of Angry Sex. So. The fourth one is I'm Cho. Sure. And this is, like, the only one that's kind of serious. Oh. <laughs> Do you rather ship Cho with Harry or Cedric? Cedric. Cedric. I feel like that makes more sense, too, yeah. personally. I respect Harry having a crush on her and mm -hmm. then, you know, them trying to have a relationship because teenagers, but... Wow, that was more anticlimactic than I expected. But that's okay, because we're going to move on to number five, which is with Umbridge. Would you rather ship Umbridge with the troll from movie number one or Creature? Personally, I can see that being a nice thruple. They all look exactly the same. That's fair. None the of them... Troll. Yeah, I would say troll. 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 No, I'm going to say Creature that. Yeah, because if it was Creature and Umbridge, Umbridge would probably crush poor Creature. At least No, if you were Umbridge... to say, like, someone else I fucking hate, then it would be different. But Do you have somebody in mind? What did I hate? Mundungus. <laughs> Would you rather that Umbridge get together with Mundungus or the troll from the first movie? I mean, the troll. Still, still the troll, but I feel like that's they're more most comparable. Evenly matched. Yeah, than than creature. After is... all, remember we named that troll Dolores Jane and Umbridge, so it's like she's fucking herself, which is probably what she does anyways. Because who would do that? Moving, anyway, moving on. The. Moving on. <laughs> the whole feast, I think, is done pretty well. I would agree. First of all, let's talk about Imelda Stone. Because uh, this uh, is the moment to talk about Imelda Stone. Mm. I mean, the rest of the movie is the moment to talk about Imelda Stone. The yeah. moment she does her little... <laughs> it makes me like... We literally cringed when we watched it. It was a cringe because glorious. of how perfect yes. it, it was. It feels like somebody took like a fork and scraped on the inside of my skull. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It is perfect. And while I was watching it, I was just like, oh, fuck, I hate you. And then I think Tara mentioned, it's Imelda Staunton. I'm like, that's how to look at this. It's Imelda Staunton. And looking at how she is, like, achieving this scene perfect. She's incredible. In the last chapter, I think that we were discussing how the most perfectly cast people in this series are Maggie Smith and Ivana Lynch. Lynch. And yeah. I think that Imelda Staunton is right up there. She's very yeah. much up there. I think yeah. so, too. Her in this role is just amazing. And what I think that they did a nice job with overall is truncating the scene in the Great Hall to give us the information we need to move forward in the storyline right. of, the, of the book and still give us that. And, and the whole scene with all of those teenagers just staring back your at Your happy her. faces. It's so, yeah. oh it's so nice to see God. all your happy smiley faces. And they are just like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. And like you had said, those kids had fun probably. They probably that. did. Like, look as bored and out of Ugh. your mind as possible. There is the moment where she says, um, progress for the sake of progress. It does shoot to Hermione, and I would have liked there to be a little bit more of this, like, oh no, bitch, you did not just say that kind of look on her face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that um, would have been yeah, a good Emma, thing. Emma Watson was not extremely responsive mm -hmm. during that speech. Yeah. Although, even, like, at the end of 
the speech, like before it goes on to the next thing where they go up into the common rooms, she does say the thing about like what this means is that the ministry is interfering with Hogwarts. The way she says it, I think is very like in character because she doesn't need to be like very obvious like what the bitch say. There is that. But I do think that as a whole, the scene is done extremely well. It is. It cuts out a decent amount of Umbridge's speech, but I think what it keeps in is the important part that yeah. should be there. Yeah. And the cutting of the Sorting Hat song, I'm fine with it. Yeah, the it's... Sorting Hat never really sings the movie. Right, it's, like the fact that it wasn't included in any of the previous movies, it would have just felt have wrong worked. for yeah. it to all of a sudden be there. When, Like, yes, the warning is important, but it's not like crucial. I think <clears> the <throat> feast scene is well done. I would have loved a chance to see John Cleese again as nearly headless Nick. Yeah, well, and here's the thing, is what I really want him in the end of the and that's the thing that I really miss of Nick. Oh, I want, that's right. I want that scene. Oh, I forgot about that scene. John Cleese is probably very expensive. Mm. He's also kind of a terrible human. F- a was he actor. in the... S- oh, yeah, he was in the second movie because he gets petrified. Yeah. But, yeah, so but he's... That was it. That was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah, that's the end of John Cleese. It's rude. Yeah. Very so cool. rude. One other thing that drives me nuts is that I want Michael Gambon to react a little more to her. I agree. She's giving that speech, and I. there are times, like, yes, Richard Harris is the preferred Dumbledore, but there are times where Michael Gambon gets it, mm-hmm. and usually it's his facial expressions. I was like, I know you can do exactly what needs to happen in this scene, and it doesn't happen. And that's very annoying to me. I'll second that for sure. Speaking of reactions, the next scene then that we get is in the common room, and I absolutely hate it. I hate it. First of all, it's in the common room, not in the dormitory. So, like, everybody is looking. Everyone's there. Yeah. Seamus is off the bat, like, the bad guy. Mm -hmm. He's so aggressive. Super. And, like, Harry is aggressive. And Harry is so stoic and stuff. Harry actually handles it better in the movie, I think. Yeah. Because Seamus is just so upfront, and I think it's so out of character for Seamus. Yeah. The line that leads into that is the same. It's Dean responds to the, I had a good holiday, it was better than Seamus's. So that, to me, kind of hints that there is some unrest with Seamus, like that he probably is not 100% in agreement with his mother because he knows Harry. And so now he's like fought with his mom about coming back to Hogwarts and then there's Harry and he's frustrated because I just fought with my mom now, you know, I'm not going to see her all until mm. Christmas time. He's just probably very frustrated. Like, that's a really good insight. Because again, it's not like I had a good holiday and that's it. And Seamus is like, well, my holiday sucked because I fought about Harry. It was the fact that Seamus had clearly told Dean that he didn't have a good holiday and it jumps right into everything with Harry. So, like, I feel like that probably there was unrest at home between Seamus and his mother about this person that he's lived with for four years. And that's probably where Seamus is. I think he's in a very conflicted place. That at least is a good way to look into it because the fact that they include that line in there from Dean totally kind of starts it. And I mean, it's not Dean's fault or anything like that. But like if Dean hadn't said something like that and then Seamus would have just spouted off, it would have been even worse. And it also makes Ron sticking up for Harry even better because first of all he's not a prefect in this scene there's not even a pin and he's saying it to the entire common room to me it shines ron in the best light possible i hate that it's in the common room though me too through this movie i have been a lot more forgiving since we also just finished the fourth movie and uh, 
what a train wreck. Ugh. Things this time, I think, either made sense or were more forgivable. This is the first big thing that I'm not a big fan of. I think of a few other things, like them waiting four days and the changes that they made there with, like, who comes to rescue Harry. Those kind of differences that we talked about. Everything else has at least made sense or been close enough and they've cut things that were like, okay, it really doesn't need to be there. This is just a complete miss of how it's done. Probably my least favorite part of the movie thus far. And it's also very interesting that they choose to take out so many things and so many character lines. Like the fact that Chris Rankin is in this movie, but... but Says nothing. But Percy does not get his storyline. Right. Chris Rankin's in this movie, and yet we're like, Seamus, who they never really establish anything about Seamus other than he's one of Harry's classmates through mm-hmm. the movies. He's the they make sure, yeah, they just make sure that he has this standoff with Harry. And I get that they were like wanting to show the tension and stuff, but I was like, that choice versus all the other things that we're not bringing in, when that's literally just a thing that has to happen so that we can see all these different people coming from different places. I don't understand why we're doing that, but we're not doing all the other important things that need to happen in this Well, it's still in character. Seamus is the guy who blows things up and he blows up on Harry. He really does. I have a lot of points this time. Oh. Plus 15, too. The Sorting Hat and Sir Nicholas. I didn't find him as annoying. I found him refreshing this time. Roll in my eyes And I do agree, like, that shush thing. Mm, Roll my eyes hard. Plus 10 to Hermione for her BS detector. Plus 10 to Ron. He is showing that he's a leader in this case. But I am giving him a warning for calling those first year smidgets. I was like, Ron, come on now. So 10 points and a warning? 10 points and a warning. Also 10 points to Neville for being a supportive figure there for saving Harry and letting him into the common room. And also 10 points to Mrs. Longbottom for not believing the Daily Prophet. So that's a new one. We haven't given Hell Tiggy yeah, anything Grand from is Grand. Amazing. Yeah. Negative five to Harry and Seamus for the, all the reasons that we talked about. It's not a lot. They did have a spat. It could have been handled different. But negative 10, though, mostly to Mrs. Finnegan because I think, you know, that's where it starts. Like, they could have just been like, this is my mom's thing and been fine. But she also instigates it and is believing in Daily Prophet. So that's like Terrible. two strikes. Yes. Although I will say, you know, Mrs. Weasley flew the Daily Prophet in book four, so. And didn't she lose points for that? She, she lost those because she gave uh, Hermione. Yeah, she gave Hermione like a tiny baby egg. Egg. And then negative 22. Pink bitch! I mean, here's the thing. It's like, that's probably the smallest number of points she's going to lose. I think you're completely correct. She's going to lose so many points. Because with that, the next chapter that we will be discussing is called Professor... I'm going to actually bleep that out. Her grand opus is approaching. You will not be around for that, unfortunately. I shan't. I shan't be here. You shall be most miserable listeners. I'm so sorry. Well. But this is not goodbye. Yeah, he'll be back. This is see you later. Well, we did it. (laughs) All right, we did it. (laughs) Farewell. Farewell. We're going to Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. 
Yes. Join our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!